Hi, and welcome to What the Flange, the podcast where we watch every episode of Friends, discuss it, deconstruct it, and fan over it, one episode at a time. My name is Quinn, pronouns Zizier, or they, them. And my name is Emily, pronouns she and her. This week, we're talking about season one, episode eight, the one where Nana dies twice. Aired November 10th, 1994. This episode was written by Marta Kaufman and David Crane and directed by James Burroughs. We also know this episode as the one where Chandler finds out people think he's gay, Judy Geller has intergenerational patriarchal trauma, and Ross falls into a grave and gets high. Woot woot. Let's do it. everyone. Welcome back. <laughs> Welcome back. Welcome back everyone after a week away. I think we're both quite excited to be to, back. To be yeah. back. We missed you. Totally missed you. I really <laughs> have come to enjoy polling everyone yeah. and getting everyone's thoughts on each episode of Friends. Yeah, so Quinn, mm-hmm. how do you feel about this episode? Oh, how do I feel about this episode? Um, I find this a very memorable episode. I think it's... In good or bad ways. (laughs) I think it's juicy in both ways. Yeah. What are your thoughts on this episode? I have, like, big feels about this episode. I, like... I think... I think I was saying this to you earlier. The more I research Friends, the more frustrated I get with Friends. And the more I, like, rewatch it and deconstruct it and analyze it, the more I get frustrated. But, like... It's hard because it's still one of my favorite shows and I'm. it's never going to stop being my favorite show no matter how much, even if we get through all 10 seasons of this podcast. And I, I guess I just feel as though this is why we're doing this podcast, you know? Like this kind of episode is why we're doing this podcast. Yeah, totally. I actually think that it's sort of been starting to show in our past few episodes as kind of like narrowing in and focusing in more and more on kind of unpacking the like bigger like social implications of the episode yeah and kind of drifting a little bit further away from the things that we really love about each episode yeah but this is a perfect episode to kind of like come back around and try to balance both out again because there are so many amazing yeah uh, well amazing moments and amazing like outfits amazing hair so i just think that this is the perfect Um, this is the perfect episode to come back around and sort of really see the reason why we're doing this and what we love about this episode, um, and the reason why we love friends. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it, yeah. It's Nothing is clear cut about this. And I think that's the biggest part Mm -hmm. of it all, is that, like, there's so many problematic things, but nothing is clear cut. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've got we've got lots to talk about this week, so let's let's get into it. Three things that I want to talk about: one, Chandler being gay, <laughs> and everybody thinking Chandler is gay, and the homophobia around that, et cetera, et cetera. I want to talk about something that maybe is kind of like weird and less important in this episode, but the way women are socialized to be passive aggressive and kind of like the intergenerational patriarchal trauma that arrives that you see with like Monica and her mom and her mom's mom etc etc and then this kind of sounds weird but I also want to talk a little bit about black representation on TV which sounds really odd because there's not a single black person in this episode but that's kind of why we want to talk about it or most episodes or most episodes in fact of all 10 seasons of Friends there are only two people of color who appear more than once in an episode oh wow yeah. Lovely. Um, and they both date Ross. Poor them. <laughs> oh, God. Okay, the three things that I want to talk about today. One, again, kind of in the same vein of women's socialization, but kind of more looking at the juxtaposition demonstrated in this episode between uh, men and women and how they are socialized um, within the patriarchy. And... Uh, I want to talk about the gaydar. Oh, nice. Yes, yes, yes. You were doing some research. Yeah. And overall gay feels? Yeah, I guess that's just like an obvious thing where like this is, this is what we're doing. This is, this is where it starts. Really talking about Mm -hmm. uh, gayness, transness, queerness, 
um, this is where it really starts to take a platform. And is gayness a word? It is now. I like it. Don't Queer- we all- queerness is a word. Transness is a word. But I've never heard gayness. That's like I don't know. I like it. Okay. <laughs> Anyways, cold open. <laughs> Oh, Let's right. We're that. still there. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Cold open. Chandler's office. Set the scene. His co-worker, who I love, by oh the gosh, way. Her outfit is cute. Like, the black leggings and the super big, baggy, like, printed button-up shirt with her the big, jewelry, chunky earrings. Her hair. Love her, like, it. like, big, kind of grounded, but, like, l- like interesting character. Mm-hmm. Like, Oh, yeah. I love it. I'm, I'm kind of sad that we don't see more of her. I know. Spoiler alert, you never see her again. I know. But, like, it makes me sad that you don't ever see her again in the show because she's she just got a great vibe to her. I would have liked just, to see more of that. I want to look up, does she, what else does she do? Nancy Casero found it. She plays in Lois and Clark and The West Wing. So, love, love, love Shelly. Shelly is great. She tries to set Chandler up. Yeah. With someone. Which we could talk about that for various reasons other than... Queer reasons. Have yeah. you ever tried to like set up a coworker? No. Again, this is keeps coming back around over and over again dating. about '90s dating, or maybe it's also just like a realm that we do not exist in. Like yeah. when it comes to this, like neither of us have really worked in an office. Like I've, no. we've both been administrative assistants. The office that I worked in, well, A was our dad's office, and then B was like really small. There was probably yeah, like I've never people. worked in an office building per se. Yeah, where there's like all these different departments. And like later down the line you find out that like Chandler's company does like a has like a food department. Fine food yeah. division. Yeah, fine food division. So it's like clearly a giant, giant corporation and mm-hmm. you don't know people from different departments. So it's like dating someone from work or being set up with someone at work kind of like makes sense. I guess, yeah. Like, I don't know. It's also just like, it. okay, let's get back to the queer thing, though. Because, like, I feel like this is a very common trope where when, like, someone's like, oh, you're gay, let me fix you up with this other gay person I know. Like, I feel like straight people are always trying to set queer people up with other queer people that they know. Mm-hmm. But, like, I definitely, as a queer person, don't actively try to set my straight friends up with straight friends. Yeah. But to be fair, I'm always trying to get my queer friends to date their other queer... to m- date my other queer friends. But that's yeah. just me. I was once recommended a yoga instructor on Instagram, and I was sort of like, are you only recommending this person because they're the only other queer yoga instructor that you know of. <laughs> yeah, that's a real thing. Like, straight people being like, do you know about this other queer person? Like, have you heard of Ellen DeGeneres? You know, like, yeah. let me tell you this about this other queer person that exists in the world. You know? Oh my you're god. Like, you're like, thanks. But I will say that if we loop back around to the end of the episode, mm-hmm. I do, in the short time that we meet Lowell, I actually do think that Chandler and Lowell would make a great couple. Interesting. They both have swoopy hair. They do have swoopy hair, mm-hmm. and I could see them being very cute together. Yeah. Okay, so good job, Shelly. Yeah. But, okay, I'm I like, not... I definitely don't think Chandler could be with Brian. Just saying. Like, not, yeah. not an out-of-a-league thing. Like, Brian's pretty cute. Brian's super cute, but I just don't think... Brian doesn't even say a word in this episode, though. I have a good... <laughs> I get a good sense. You don't think Chandler could get a Brian? <laughs> I don't think it's a matter of getting a Brian, okay? I think it's a matter of whether you're a good fit with the Brian. Yeah, but you don't know anything about Brian. How can you say this? I know, okay. Okay. (laughs) This will come up in the gaydar later when I talk about it, okay? Totally. Okay, so let's talk about Chandler's reaction to someone assuming he's gay. Okay, this is an issue that comes up a lot, not just on TV, but like in general life. So like the idea that you're like... I'm okay with gay people, but I am not a gay person. And I find that this, like, and, okay, I'm going to talk about my own experience for a moment as a queer lady. Um, So I didn't come out until I was, like, early 20s. Early 20s? Like, 20, 21. 20. Probably about 20. Okay. Um, And I remember... In high school, a lot of friends being like, Emily, we're totally going to get to our 10-year reunion and you're going to be like, I'm a lesbian. And I was like, no way. I'm not a lesbian. That's not going to happen. Little did I know. But, (laughs) oops, (laughs) oops. Um, And it's just like, I remember as a kid 
or like as a, whatever, a young teenager defending so hard the position that I'm not gay, I'm not gay, I'm not gay. And it, it often would come out as like, I was so anxious that people were going to think I was gay, that I would be like outwardly A, homophobic, but then B, like I would, I would not stand up for queer people in thinking that people would then associate me with with queer people. So, like, for example... I did not know this about you. Yeah. So, for example, which, like, re- looking back now, like, totally internalized homo- like homophobia, a hundo P. Yeah. But, like, I, I had friends, like, who are, you know, like, I, they're not like this now. They were teenagers, whatever. Like, they're still my friends now. But, like, or some of them are. But, like, it was just this, like, lol thing that Emily's a lesbian, you know? And I remember just, like, being so... Like, no, I'm not, no, I'm not, no, I'm not. And, like, wanting to disassociate myself so much from being associated to being a lesbian that when I went to Sejap at John Abbott, there was a gay and straight alliance. It was next to the environmental group, Jacktivists. For those, I think Allie actually formed Jacktivists. But the Jacktivists group, yeah, Jacktivists group was in the same um, office space as the gay um, and lesbian, straight, whatever, alliance that they had. And so I was, like, very clear about, like, I'm not part of the gay-straight alliance, which, like, the word straight is in it, but, like, I'm, I'm like, part of Jacktivist, and I was, like, really intense about, like, splitting myself away from that group, and then, like, whatever, six months later I came out, but, like... So what you're saying is that Chandler is gay. But I think that this stuff is so important because... It's, like, yeah. one of those things where, like, you see on TV people get, like, really stressed about being associated to to queerness because they have, A, so much internalized homophobia, but, like, then that comes off as, like, other people having to, like, feel so uncomfortable with being queer. Like, I wouldn't hold my first partner who was not a dude's hand for, like, ever in public because I didn't want these high school friends from years before to see me and be like... We were right, and, like, I didn't want to be associated with queerness even when I first came out as queer. And, like, you know, I'm I'm married to a man. I get away with a lot of, quote-unquote, straight passing, you know? So mm-hmm. it's, like, I guess I just have, like, so many feels around jokes around queerness because it's, like, yo, I internalize the shit out of that stuff, you know? Anyways. That's my rant's over. I talked for, like, five minutes right there. But you can go. <laughs> um, no, I think that's, that's a perfect opening to Chandler's storyline, which mm-hmm. I want to point out that, like, again, second episode in a row, we have, like, a Chandler-specific storyline. That's true. And then pretty much everyone, like, there is other storylines, but they're all kind of mashed together with the rest of the group. What was the other storyline that was Chandler-specific? Oh, last, well, not last week, two weeks ago. Yeah, Jill Goodreker. He was separated from the group, and this is kind of like a similar scenario. That's true. Um, But I think that what you're saying is really important to acknowledge when, like, going into this episode and moving forward in the next 10 seasons as we deconstruct Chandler's character. Mm-hmm. Now, as much as this is a relatable thing, the reality is that there's also a part of it that's like, doesn't mean that it is okay as well at the same time, mm-hmm. right? And so I don't, especially initially in this in this scene, in this moment, I actually don't think that Chandler reacts poorly. He sort of more is just shocked. Taken aback. And very yeah. taken aback. But I do mm-hmm. think that when we enter the next scene, you start to, like, kind of see a little bit more of his... Internalized homophobia. Internalized yeah. homophobia, um, his, like, paranoia around being seen as gay, and mm-hmm. um, kind of, like, his anxiety around it, um, and then also everyone else's homophobia comes out within those conversations as well. Mm-hmm. Um but I actually do think that in this scene, the initial reaction is is fairly reasonable, where he's just like, like you know, anything, yeah. if you were to be taken aback by something, you'd be a little bit like, what? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, unexpected news of someone's perception of you. Yeah. Yeah, but like, I, I don't know, because like, then Shelly's like, oh my god, I gotta go flush myself down a toilet, which is a hilarious line, but like... She's, like, she's also like, oh my god, how dare I, like, do the atrocious thing of assume a straight person is gay. Hey, Quinn, you know how we always talk about full-length, uncut episodes of Friends that you can get on the DVDs? Yeah. Well, did you know that you can get full-length, uncut versions of our podcast starting this week in our new Patreon page? Hi. Welcome to our first advertisement. 
Starting today, we're going to be using this time right after the cold open to insert an advertisement. Producing this podcast not only takes a lot of our time, but it also costs us money. With the end of CERB coming, we need to find a way to make this podcast sustainable moving forward. So we've come up with some solutions. Advertisements are one of them. And we have also launched our new Patreon page, where you can support us for as little as $2 a month and be a part of our growing community and get a bunch of bonus material. From stickers to Netflix watch parties to full-length, uncut, advertisement-free versions of our podcast and even a secret bonus episode we've never released. Check out the link in our Instagram bio and show notes. Monica's apartment. Let's move into that. We have Chandler starting to talk about how he's perceived or asking other people if that's how they perceive him as being gay. Mm. There's a few things that kind of come up that are a bit of an issue in my mind. Emily, do you have anything to say about this scene? Uh, Sure. Yeah, like a lot. Um, Can we talk about the inconsistencies in this scene or should we talk about that after? There's two inconsistencies in this scene, but they're only relevant if you watch the entire show. So one is that Rachel says that upon meeting Chandler, she also thought he was gay, but then she spent the, he spent Phoebe's birthday party staring at her boobs, which was a whole other issue, but whatever. Um, (laughs) That's actually what I wanted to get into a little bit. Okay, but I want to talk about the inconsistency first, which is that Rachel has actually already met Chandler. Yeah, no, exactly. And Like, you find out in season five they've already met. Yeah. Anyways, you go. It's clear that it's the first season they still haven't, like, really carved out the history that exists between Mm -hmm. all the characters yet, and as time goes on, it just feels like they carve it deeper and deeper and deeper. When you get to the very last season, you're kind of like, they throw something at you, like a bit of like a curveball, and you're like, whoa. Yeah, like Rachel and Chandler have like technically met like six times. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Before the first episode of this show. Yeah. Yeah, so anyways. Um, But at this point, they're just going off by... What you know, they, what season one, so episode far, yeah. one being the first time that Rachel and Chandler yeah, have yeah. met. But that moment where she's sort of like, I thought that maybe you were gay, but then you, you know, spent an entire party staring at my breasts. Like, they just kind of breeze over that yeah. as though, like, casual, this is, it's sort of like this, either you're gay or you very casually stare at people's breasts. There's, like, no apology put in there from Chandler being like, oh, sorry. Are you gay or are you a boob stare? <laughs> I know, right? I identify like, as a boob stare, like, no, like, like, as if that's a sexuality, like, yeah, what? It's just so absurd, you know, like, if yeah, I had a friend totally. where it's, like, I brought that to their attention in a conversation, if they didn't, if they weren't, like, abashed by that and yeah. apologetic, I would, you know, reconsider the friendship. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, like, you know, or just be much more willing to have a lot more space from them. You know, like, it's just an inner, it's just, like, the fact that it's just so normalized as being, like, casually okay, Mm -hmm. um, as this, as though this is, like... Yeah, no one bats an eyelash, for sure. Yeah. Phoebe says that, you know, maybe he's gay because, you know, he's smart and funny. Chandler goes, Ross is smart and funny, did you guys think he was gay? And, like, everyone dies laughing. And I have two thoughts about this. One, are they lolling? I put lolling in my notes. Are they lolling because Ross is obviously not gay? Or are they lolling because Ross is not very funny or smart? Oh. Yeah. No, I think they're definitely lolling because they're like, Ross is definitely not gay. Mm. I think that's the vibe that they're giving off. Because even Ross kind of laughs at it. And Ross Mm. cannot laugh at himself. That's true. Yes, yes, yes. Ross has zero ability to laugh at himself. That's true. (laughs) That is one of the most consistent things with the show. Oh, man. But yeah, and then Joey, so Joey in the DVD version makes this comment about being a quote-unquote stealth heterosexual. Yes. So because women think that he is, uh, think that Chandler is gay, he can pick up women Easier, easier, easier. Well, he can more easily. be around women, and they can until they let their guard down because they don't suspect him as being hetero, yeah. and then he can make his move. Yeah, and that's just like another reference, like something that continues to repeat itself already. We're in the eighth episode in of the first season, and we've yeah. talked about this so many times. But this concept of like not manipulation being, of yeah women. manipulation yeah. of women and like the quote unquote letting your guard down and just that idea that like. How are you supposed to trust any men if this is, like, the ongoing narrative Mm -hmm. of, like, people who are supposed to, like, 
cozy up to you and be like your friend and get, gain your trust. And then meanwhile, they have alternative motives and their own agenda within yeah. it. Um, it's which is so funny twisted. because like like men are just so funny in the ways that they'll be like simultaneously not all men, but then like in another breath they'll be like all men are pigs. Like you know, like I, and that's like, such like a good if, point. if men oh say God. that men are pigs then it's valid, but if women say men are pigs, then it's not valid, and you're just like... Yeah, yeah. Anyways. It's so true, right? It's sort of like, men are pigs when it's to their advantage. Like, you're not allowed to date other people, or you're not allowed to, like, hang out with this guy friend of yours. Because he's a... He's, like, just trying to get into your pants, or he's just blah, blah, blah. And it's like, well, maybe call out your dude friends, (laughs) and tell them to not be so shitty, instead of putting the onus on me. Ugh. Yep. Anyways, moving on. Um, before we move on... Rachel's outfit. Yes. Just to let everyone know, this is the outfit that won this episode. <gasps> I didn't realize. It's the episode that she, like, and it's so stunning, especially when she, like, first gets up to go get the phone to talk mm-hmm. to Paolo, and you're just like, what is up with I that love, skirt, yeah. that shirt? It's just so on point. Love it. I love yeah. the, like, long black sleeve shirt. I bought I a shirt like this. Because I love those kind of shirts it's so much. It's just so classy and, like, mm-hmm. elegant and, like, yeah. oh, so good. Um, yeah. And, but it also looks comfortable. Yeah. Oh, nice. that is such a good point. It, it does look very comfortable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> which is key. No pockets, though. No. Oh, we didn't We didn't see. Could have had secret pockets. We it's true. Um, okay. So I want to talk a little bit about something that's funny that happens so far in this episode. Is when Ross is like, I could do that. I just got to go to Rome. <laughs> I just think it's, like, really Ross. He's just, like... Ross has, like, great lines. This show would not exist without Ross. Ross is just so funny. Like, in all the ways I hate him, I also love him so much. It's so... It's tough. Okay, so then we move to the hospital because we just found out that um, Ross and Monica's nana Mm -hmm. is now in the hospital, possibly coming to the end of her life. Yeah. And they get there. I think it's really hilarious uh, the way that, again, Ross, incredible. I think he does such a good job in this episode again when he goes to, like, hug his dad and he just does his, like, awkward thing where he, like, kind of, like, half steps on the table and, like, hugs him over the coffee table. And it's just, it's, it's just very well done. It's very, yeah, Ross is, is great in the way that he acts with his whole body. And I, I don't think the other characters act in that same way. Anyways, we say that every episode, so... But yeah, for sure. And then they're they're just they're just re- remembering all these cute things about Nana, which is really cute, and it made me miss my Nana. No, Nana. <sighs> yeah, um, we had some great feedback for people who uh, call their nanas different things or their grandmothers different things. Nana was a few of them. Um, our cousin answered one, so that was obviously Nana. Yeah. Um, uh, there was Oma uh, Mamer was one of my favorite ones, actually. Mm. There was some really good... So so she dies, and then she's not dead. <laughs> and then, again, we get this pleasure of just seeing Ross act, and he goes out to the waiting room, and he's, like, f- like fluffing his arms all over the place, and he's just like, well, she's she's not past, she's present like it's just like his acting is just incredible like I just I love him so much in this episode I love that there's such a contrast between like me having so many issues with with Ross but I totally have a crush on David Schwimmer Schwimmer (gasps) you said it right oh my god (laughs) Emily informed me like yesterday that I've literally said David Schwimmer's name wrong every single episode of this podcast so you've been calling him david schumer (laughs) but like i didn't think it was obvious enough to correct you so i don't want to correct you while we were recording no you should you should correct (laughs) me (laughs) the deed is done um anyways i i have like a theory that this plot line only exists in order to show david schwimmer's acting because like there's they don't really like this is not really relevant like the episode is called the one where nana dies but like it's kind of like, the one where Nana dies twice, like, the way that they make her die twice isn't necessary. Like, they could have just said the one where Nana dies. But it's you so know? much more comical. Totally. I, I totally get it. But I think, like, it's so weird that they titled the episode around right. this, like, tiny thing that happens out of the whole episode. I don't know. I think that... I don't know. I think that this is... a de- Okay, this is in my notes here. Just kind of how Friends does a fairly good job of taking serious topics Mm -hmm. and being able to turn them into a comedy. And you see it time and time again, like with like very serious situations, like 
breakups and mm-hmm. stuff like that, that it's it's a very serious and heartfelt situation, but they can still bring levity and, uh, like... Ooh, good word. Crossword puzzle word. <laughs> and hilarity into it. Yeah. And I think that, I mean, I think that sometimes they try to do it and it ends up being problematic, and we yeah. see that over and over again, but they also do it in really successful ways. Like, I would mm-hmm. say that this episode of, of talking about... Death. Death and yeah. being able to turn it into something funny, but there's mm-hmm. also these really interesting heartfelt moments about that yeah. explain, like, characters' past, like Monica and her mom. You know, yeah. you're getting a, lot, a deeper sense of the characters individually, but totally. it still is a really entertaining episode. It really mm-hmm. draws you in. Yeah. All right, so we move into the next scene where they're back at Central Park, and again, Chandler's upset that everyone thinks he's gay. Um, <laughs> Phoebe has a great line here. Yeah. And <laughs> should we maybe call this, like, the line of the episode? Yes, you have homosexual hair. Yeah, that's great. And we were listening to a podcast. So, okay, we in, we always do research after we, after we watch the episode, and we were, we stumbled upon um, a podcast called the gayest, uh, sorry, gayest episode ever in which they, it's a, it's two queer dudes and they take a look at different episodes of pop culture that like show queer characters, like the gay episode of the sitcom and how they like approach queerness. And so we started listening to the episode about this episode of Friends. <laughs> um, we didn't listen to the whole thing because we didn't want to necessarily like have it influence how we talk on this podcast. We'll link it in the show notes so you can go take yeah, a look. You sh- I'm going to listen to the rest of it after we record this because I want to hear what else they said. But, um, and one of the things they said, they made a joke and I, I, I want to reference this so I'm not stealing their joke, but they make a joke that Phoebe's right, Chandler does have homosexual <laughs> And I just thought it was hilarious because it was like these two queer guys who were like, well, he does have homosexual hair. <laughs> like, this is a stereotype, but hilarious. I think it's also a great line, though, in the other side of it that like, like from the side of two queer folks talking yeah. about it, it's if you can say it in one context. When yeah. you flip it on the other side where you're looking at someone who is trying to be straight... Or it, it either is straight or is queer, but doesn't want to admit it, and is like trying to. Wait, are we talking about Phoebe? No, we're talking about Chandler. <laughs> okay, and him trying to like pinpoint it being his hair is the reason why he's perceived as gay. I just mm-hmm. think that Phoebe's line in response yeah. to that is like the perfect retort of like being like, "Do you hear yourself?" Like- yeah, it's like like your hair could be gay, you know, like. Yeah, it's so funny. And and I have a lot of feels around this in terms of, like, the fact that um, David Crane, who wrote this episode, he is gay himself. So yes. he wasn't out at the time, or that we know of. Like, he wasn't, like... Well, we don't know. We have... There's no... There's not a lot of, like, personal information about yeah, David Crane. Him. Yeah. I was It's like, if anyone knows more about... When David Crane came out, like, if he was already out when this episode came out, that would be good to know. Yeah. Um, um, because, like, he's married. He has a husband right now. I don't know if they're married, but they're partners. But the thing is, there's two parts to it, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, maybe we've touched on it in the past. But there's the one part where... We don't know if he was out at the time. Mm-hmm. So that would make... If he wasn't, that would kind of make it not the greatest. But yes and no. Because, like, unless he wasn't out, but he still very much knew that he was gay. And this episode was written as, like, an homage to himself. <laughs> yeah. Which, like, I like to think of... Like, in order to justify the homophobia in this episode, I like to think of it as, like, David Crane wrote this episode and was like lol straight people you know <laughs> like that's that's how i justify it in my head but at the same time it's like it's just it's one of those things where like you know you use that like one gay friend you have to justify the fact that you're not homophobic you know or like that one you know like you say like well i'm a woman and i don't find this sexist you know like like people use their own identities to justify other people oppressing people who share their identities. Yeah. And, like, that's not valid because not everyone's experience of homophobia is the same, you know? Not everyone's experience of sexism is the same. So just because you wrote the 
jokes as a queer person, you're still like making fun of queer people in this episode. And so it's not valid in that sense. Yeah, know? exactly. And especially when we start um, moving through the seasons and moving into the realm of uh, unpacking Chandler's parent who has this ambiguous kind of melded uh, identity of either being like gay and a drag, drag queen, queen or actually being trans. Yeah. Like it's really not. And they really blur the lines between yeah. a trans woman and and, and uh, being a drag queen, which is like the worst lines to blur because being it's not the there's same such thing. a stereotype yeah. that trans women are just men in dresses and that's like really fucked up. Which and then you add another layer to the fact that like the character is actually played by an actress um, and and not a male actor. And like so that adds a whole other level to it. But we're gonna get into that. And then furthermore, when you start talking mm-hmm. about the fact that there's this this history between the especially cis white gay community versus the trans community where mm-hmm. trans women of color specifically have played a huge role in progressing um, queer, rights. queer rights in every single way, including like women's rights. Yeah. And like basically completely on the back of trans women of color. And then you have cis gay men who kind of swoop in, um, kind of swoop in and are much more palatable to like mainstream culture. And so yeah, they get they're white and they're men, they're yeah. white and they're cis. And, and so mm-hmm. they can just sort of swoop in and be accepted so much more easily. And then really kind of can take the stance of being like, well, I'm not that meaning trans. Yeah. And what ends up happening there is like, this is kind of where the meme comes in, where it's like not gay as in happy, but queer as in fuck you. Yeah. Um, and like that sort of uh, kind of speaks to the and like the nuance that exists there yeah. within queer culture. Um, and so all to say is that even though David Crane is gay and is a creator and one of the main writers of this show, it doesn't absolve the problematic um, references and jokes associated with queerness, especially it, especially when it comes to transness. Like, mm-hmm. that is something that, like, down the line, we'll get into more. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, again, everything is kind of nuanced. When kind of creating a piece of art, or I could imagine, you know, it's, it's for yourself to some degree. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that there is a certain amount of what is written that is taken from his own experience and is a kind yeah. of response to what was the current mainstream ideas and what was in pop culture at that time. Yeah, for sure. And so it's it is it's nuanced. It there's mm-hmm. no like cuz then you also wonder like later on you you know you find out that his dad is gay or a trans woman you're not sure equating them doesn't make sense you know it's not um gender and sexuality are two different things definitely um but though they can affect each other totally yeah for sure but um anyways yeah and so like i i also think of the ways in which like chandler as a character maybe is like you know, internalizing the trauma that existed in his childhood and associates that trauma with his dad's gayness, gonna use your word, (laughs) versus, like, just associating that as childhood trauma because his parents are assholes in different ways that are not related to, um, you know, his parents' sexuality or gender in any way, you know? So it's just, like... I wonder if his character has is having trouble with the idea of, like, being perceived as gay because he's got all these, like, internalized associations from his dad. Are we using the term dad? I think we're going to have to create a separate episode to where unpack. we're going... Yeah. I think we need to kind of, like, unpack and prepare for, like, yeah. moving into the future, what kind of language we want to use and um, mm-hmm. what... And, and how we're going to get there kind of thing. So totally. 
um, which we're probably going to want a lot of feedback from you guys. Mm -hmm. So um, if this conversation is already starting to bring up thoughts and um, ideas and things that you want kind of uh, acknowledged, please send us an email or send us a DM. You can get us on Instagram or Mm -hmm. our new Patreon account. Um, now, moving on. Do you want to? Do you want? Well, keep going? we're still in Central Perk at this point. Um, and, and before we move on to the next scene, uh, I would like to acknowledge the two vests. Um, yes, the two vests. <laughs> I would like to acknowledge the two vests. One uh, is Rachel's vest, which I don't know what happened to her amazing outfit that she was wearing like two seconds yeah, ago. But right. she has this really weird jean vest with like a pocket in the front, like she's a kangaroo, it's like a but at her top. Yeah, but it's like a halter top jean vest. And then you have Phoebe's vest, which <laughs> is like, it has this really weird pattern on it of being like science-y, yeah. science cartoon. Like it's like like Miss Frizzle's shirt. Yeah, it, it's totally, maybe Phoebe is Miss Frizzle. What? what? I could see that. I could see it too. Oh man. It I makes so much sense. Um, But uh, I do think, okay, so... We polled everyone, and we asked who was wearing the better vest. Phoebe mm. won, but only okay. by, like, 5% or something. Oh. Well. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we could just talk briefly about Nana's house. Like, I, I also just don't find this stuff very interesting in the same way. Like, there's, like, a couple of, like, comedic things Oh, that's that so happen. interesting. I actually find what happens in Nana's house is, like, very iconic. It's one of the more memorable scenes for me. Specifically, like, again, David Schwimmer doing incredible acting, Mm -hmm. uh, where he's, like, in this comical position that does not make any sense because you wouldn't be able to open the drawers of that dresser that's standing in the way of the closet. It doesn't make any sense, but I love it. I think Mm -hmm. it's hilarious. And he's back there pretending to be, like, a store clerk. And then he has that amazing moment. Again, a very touching moment that's both touching and comical, where he, like, finds uh, the sweet and low packets, and he does this, like, he's just so tactile, you know, he, like, smells the sweet and low packets, and they fall down on top of him, and... That that scene is beautiful. I really like that. I think that was well-written. Yeah, that was... And well-executed, you know? Mm -hmm, For sure. Um, Yeah. Yeah, and I I do find it, it cute how, like... So that's clearly, that's clearly Judy's sister... Um, but first of all, we never see her again, and we never even get her name. Uh, it's Lilith. Oh. Uh, but here's the thing. I actually don't think that they reference her in name in this episode. But in future episodes, you find out that Judy Geller has a sister. Her name is Lilith. Oh, wow. Well, I don't remember that. Yeah. I also want to say that she is my number one for outfit in this episode. What? I love her episode. I love her outfit in this episode. It's like her the- big glasses, mm. her long chain necklace. It's like so she's the- wearing like a white turtleneck. In the know? white turtleneck. Like I just yeah. I, I just love it. There's just something that I'm just like, oh my god, I love you. Yeah. Like your self expression of self is just so great. Mm-hmm. So can we maybe we could talk for a second about the whole Monica and her mom thing. Um, because it's a good segue. So, like, Monica's mom makes this comment. She basically says, um, it doesn't matter what we pick. She would have hated it anyways. And then later on, she's sitting at the, like, at the service, after the service, and she's basically saying to Monica that, like, if her mom was here, um, like, she would, she would hate this whole thing. And then Monica makes the joke, well, yeah, because it's her funeral. And, (laughs) and then... Good point, Monica. (laughs) And then Judy goes, like, she basically just says that, no, because, like, you know, she would say, uh, like, oh, you didn't spend enough money on flowers, but then if I spent too much money on flowers, she'd be like, why are you buying so many flowers? I'm dead. I don't need them, you know? And I think that, like, you then, throughout the whole episode, you're seeing, like, well, we've already met Judy before this episode, and we've already seen how shitty she is to Monica. And then you kind of get a bit of, like, I don't want to call it sympathy, but I want to say, like, you kind of start to understand why Judy is so shitty to Monica. Exactly. There's You're getting this depth into it. Yeah. It's so interesting. And that's where I wanted to talk about the thing about, like, women being socialized to be, like, passive-aggressive in a lot of ways. So, like, Monica's like, well, you know, if she was alive, would you have said anything? And Judy's like, no, I think, like, some things are better left unsaid, you know? And you're just like, 
No, you should say something, you know, like women are socialized to be docile, to not have confrontations, to like not be too um, expressive in their emotions, like, and if that emotion is anger, you know, and so like it, it's interesting that they portray this kind of like intergenerational impact of patriarchy on the Geller family. Yeah. You know? I wrote down my notes. The scene is a juxtaposition with, with the men, men who yeah. have like all checked out of the funeral. They're all like trying to watch this football game, completely don't care where they are in mm-hmm. a space that requires a certain amount of emotional labor and connection mm-hmm. and bonding, emotional support. They've all checked out. They're watching the game. Mm-hmm. And then you have this juxtaposition of two women sitting on the couch, um, the whole funeral um, Monica's mom has just been essentially, what did I write? Um, who has, uh, it's demonstrating a lineage of women who hold destructively high standards around how they look and domestic yeah. abilities, like cooking yeah, and cleaning. Totally. And the, the, they're literally destroying each other because of it. Mm-hmm. And you're seeing them have this conversation on the other side. And it's just, yeah. this. this is what... This is patriarchy, right? Yeah. And both of these things can hurt both men and women, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, men are more likely to commit suicide because they're less likely to be able to reach out for support because they do not know how to do emotional labor mm-hmm. and be have emotions around other people or be allowed to have emotions. And then you mm-hmm. have women who have, you know, where eating disorders are rampant and um, there's just this intense need to like please men um Mm -hmm. it's um it's just a really interesting scene to demonstrate such a strong issue in society Mm -hmm. you know totally but something that i have always wondered in Mm -hmm. this moment is when judy and monica are talking and monica asks her this question like would Mm -hmm. you if you did it all again would you have told her there's kind of almost I feel a moment where Judy kind of gets what Monica is saying. And I kind of wonder sometimes, like, do you think that she actually said no? Because because she doesn't want Monica to confront her? Exactly. Yeah, I I think of that too when I see that. I I, I think that that's a little bit what they're implying, but it's not obvious. And I think it's supposed to be a little bit like... Like, maybe she's thinking of both simultaneously, you know? Yeah. Like, and, and you see her hesitate. She's like, no. Yeah. You know, like, the way she says good, no is, she, like, she says it in a way where she's like, maybe I would, but I don't want you to say it to me. Exactly. You know? And so I think that, like, that, I think that, yeah, Christina Pickle does a good job in that. I think yeah. they both do it really well. Mm-hmm. I actually find that Courtney Cox, I don't think we're actually giving her enough Credit, uh, credit in, this in show. not only, yeah in the show up to this far especially I find in the first season she is probably her most grounded and she makes these really interesting facial expressions that kind of have this like knowingness to her mm-hmm. in the way that she looks at people and I find that this is a yeah. scene where she does it really well she has this little eyebrow tilt at one point that you're kind of like huh mm-hmm. interesting I think Monica is like like considering that she grew up with the mom that she has she's like doing okay yeah okay so um can we maybe we should jump back okay because we missed a scene which is um, in the cemetery yeah but first before the cemetery there's the scene um oh where they all gather at monica's apartment before that oh my goodness (laughs) chandler's office um and the and shelly's there it's the next day and shelly is there and she's like oh you know about yesterday i'm so sorry you know again she's like so sorry that she dared to assume a straight person was gay um and chandler i actually find that chandler's like like kind of like has accepted it like he's like he's okay he needed like 24 hours to like be kind of like internalized homophobic about it but like he's like kind of okay yeah. and he's just like don't worry about it he literally says don't worry about it yeah and he's like you know it, like whatever apparently you're not the first one like he's just like yeah. whatever and then he still wants to know like what is it about him that comes off as like as gay which like 
in a lot like yes it's internalized homophobia but like I also kind of understand that curiosity yeah that, like what is this ca- like what trait do I have that that not just you but more than one people more than one people more than one person is assuming this about my sexuality you know right like I can understand that yeah and I I think that okay there is definitely the internalized homophobia but on the other side, Chandler also already has a really hard time getting dates and going out with women and interacting with women as in general. Mm-hmm. I could also see it as sort of like him kind of being upset about it because you're like, I already have a hard enough time mm-hmm. dating. I don't need the people that I'm attracted to to, to assume that I'm not attracted to them. Yeah, that I yeah. am not within the realm of dating them, yeah. you know? And I can understand that part yeah. that exists. Um, yeah, totally. Okay, so next thing, you know, they're in Monica's apartment. They're getting it ready to go. Uh, Rachel got these epic shoes from Paolo. She's very excited about them. Again, her outfit is baller. Um, and so then Chandler makes that line, don't we all look nice? Don't we look nice all dressed up? And then he's like, oh, that's why people... It's things like that, right? And so it's like the Chandler making a compliment or saying something like nice about the group or complimenting their appearance automatically means he's gay. You know, like, it's it's a stereotype. Again. I know, like, I know. It really is. Mm-hmm. Um, also, I was so shocked. And I don't have the exact numbers in front of me. But, okay, we talk about those shoes as being amazing. They're so cute. But... Most of the, it was, most people, like, like, they lost on being nice what? on our Instagram poll. Like, most people said that they did not like those shoes. I know. I was what so... Were like, cute ankle boots? Yeah. With a little frilly thing. I don't know. I think they were cute. I think they were very applicable to her outfit. Yeah. I don't know what other outfits they would work with, but yeah. Um, so then they're in the cemetery. I don't know about you, but when Ross fell into that graveyard... I was thinking on our third watch, damn, wonder if Spike's around. (laughs) Okay, so... So The question was, would you rather fall in a hole in a cemetery like Ross did, or would you rather have Monica be your mom for a week? I would rather have Monica's mom for a week. Wow. That's interesting. I'd, like, whoa... Like, I'm talking, not like, like, you don't pick up her phone call and you never see her. Like, I'm talking, like, live in the same house. Yeah. I'm thinking that I have lived with worse. Not necessarily moms, but, like, people in general, Mm. much worse for more than a week. Interesting. (laughs) And so, um... I would rather fall in a hole. Interesting. Because, like, I think it would also be good for my anxiety to fall in a hole like that. (laughs) Like, just, like, kind of, like, see what it's like. I've got a lot of fears around falling and death, and so, so maybe it would be, like, a good... Like, you know how, like, sometimes they say, like, you have to, you know... Face your fears. Pee into the wind. <laughs> <laughs> and so, like, I, I wonder if that would be a good thing for me to experience. Right. And also, Monica's mom would kill me. I'd have a hard time with that. Yeah, that's fair. Also, if you fall into a hole, you get all the drugs after. <laughs> Not the drugs. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what drugs? Which, okay, is, I think... Coming I... from your friendly neighborhood sober people. <laughs> Don't do drugs, kids. <laughs> um, but I think that segues nicely into the next scene yes. where they, where Ross is all drugged up. Yeah, and again, acting so freaking so well. So on point, so good. Yeah. Has that moment where he like, outs, but is not outing Chandler because he's not gay. But, like, is exactly, though, like, what I think is the issue with, like, part of Chandler's homophobia is rooted in is also, like, but also I don't want the few women who are interested in me to think that I am gay yeah. and not be interested in me because of that. That's true, yeah. And it's, like, that is directly you played be gay, out. man, be gay. Be gay. <laughs> Thanks, man. Thanks, Ross. Um, but... Arguably, um, best line of the episode is when Ross walks over to Rachel and he's like, I love you. And Rachel is like, I love you too. And he's like, you don't get it. You don't 
get it. Like, and he, like, falls on top of her. It's yeah. such a good, on-point yeah. Ross moment, yeah. you know? Have you ever crushed on a friend? Like, like that hard? Um, okay, as hard as Ross on Rachel? I don't even want to compare myself to that, to be okay. fair. Yeah, that's fair. That's pretty next level. It's <laughs> um, like level 10 crush. It's also, like executed in the wrong way and dealt with in the wrong way. That's true. So I don't really want to be parallel to that. Yeah, you but probably yeah, shouldn't t- associate yourself to Ross in general <laughs> when it comes to those things. No. Um, but no, I definitely uh, um, have crushed on friends. I think that most of the people that I have been really... Like, that I really... I think I just crush on people differently. Um, it, it's just, like, people who I really admire and love, I normally will have a crush on them at first... Um, mm. and, yeah, that makes sense. and then it just sort of evolves into friendship, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I get that. Mm-hmm. I've, like, had mad crush- crushes on friends before, and then told them, and it went awry. So, <laughs> moving on. And then they go back to Central Park at the end of the episode, and, um, they're looking at these cute photos, and they have this, like, juxtaposition moment where they're talking about Nana's photo with like her friends at Java Joe's and they're all Which, sitting there at Central Perk. Java Joe's was actually one of the names that <gasps> they were originally going to name Central Perk. And oh, that's cute. And so it's almost like this implication even further than what they're doing there that like it's supposed to be a parallel to like them. Yeah. You know, that's cute. maybe even implying that before Central Perk was Central Perk. Was it maybe mm-hmm. Java what? Joe's? Java Joe's. Yeah. I need to bring up another queer thing in this scene. Okay. In this scene. I know, right? So there's that moment where they pull out another photo, mm-hmm. and oh, I know what you're gonna they're say. They're like, "Oh, look, it's Monica," and Ross is like, "No, that's me. I'm just trying a thing." Now, here's the thing: is that this is actually just the beginning. <gasps> Of so oh my God, I forgot. many references. Ma- mommy, mommy, I'm a girl. Take me with you. Yeah, of so many references yeah. of Ross either wanting to be a girl or playing to be playing as a girl as a kid. I am B. I, <laughs> I like T. Won't you dance, dance around with me? That comes so up in season two. Oh my many, god, I can't wait to talk about that. I, I know. There's so many references along the line. And so I'm putting a thesis on the table that Ross might also be queer. Interesting. Now we're at three characters. Yeah, but we just see queer queers everywhere. Obviously. We just see the queers everywhere. Um, okay, so last scene. Uh, Chandler, we're back in Chandler's office. Lowell is there. We meet Lowell. Lowell who's, who's super cute. Also has swoopy hair. Also has swoopy hair. Great glasses. Yeah. yeah. And he says, and um, Chandler's like, for the record, I'm not. He doesn't even say I'm not gay. He's just like, I'm not. And then Lowell's like, oh, I know. <laughs> like, I can't like, even say it out loud. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, we have a kind of... Radar, and I'll let you get into that in a second. But then he says this hilarious line. He goes like, "Speaking, uh, oh yeah." Chandler goes like, "You don't think I have a quality?" And then he's like, "Lol goes speaking for my people, no." And I just think that's like that was the most re- like relatable queer line ever in Friends. Like just like speaking for my people, you're not a part of it, Chandler. <laughs> Like, get out of here. But it's also so sad because there's sort of, like, a part of it that's, like, there is, like, there is that possibility that Chandler is, like, really repressed in being queer, you know, especially with all of his childhood trauma. Like, it's very possible that it's there and it's a huge anxiety for him throughout the entire ten seasons. And... And it's an ongoing thing in queer communities where, like, queer people don't think you're queer enough. Yeah. You know, like, especially with, like, lesbian women. It's like, if you've ever dated a man as a lesbian, then you're not, like, a real lesbian. Or, like, there's, like, something called, like, a gold star lesbian, which is someone who's never slept with a man. And that. I've always mostly existed in queer and bi communities, so I'm less, like, nuanced in that. But. Yeah, which ends up also being extremely transphobic. Um, yeah, a lot of, like, yeah, 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 Um, totally. So there's, like, this, like, idea that, like, you have, like, you have to be a certain way in order to be perceived as straight, but you also have to be a certain way in order to be gay, like, and then we find ourselves, like, 
and this happens a lot. Like we're not, like we're not two queer people sitting here and talking about how the queer world has no issues. Like we <laughs> we're God. aware of them. Like and <laughs> and I think like there's this really like I remember when I first came out as queer, like I was like constantly fearful that other queer people wouldn't think I was queer and so therefore like had to like actively be outwardly more queer looking and it wasn't until like a couple years ago that like I established more of like what I like to look like um that's like definitely more femme Mm -hmm. but there was like a period of time where like I was look where I dress a lot more masculine because I wanted people to be like queer people especially to know that I was queer Mm -hmm. um but like that's also a thing because you just like you want to be like you're not alone (laughs) like you know when you're like in a room and like someone walks in who's like obviously queer (laughs) yeah gaydar (laughs) sometimes there's like that you are dressing cultural like in to fit in within the queer culture in order to it's like a calling card, right? Like, it's like, how do you, else do you find other people who are yeah. queer? You know, like... Y- like queer haircuts and plaid shirts, you know? Like, it's just yeah. like a thing. But, okay, I'm going to segue into gaydar now. Yeah. So, interestingly enough, I think a lot of people nowadays would kind of uh, outrightly say that the gaydar concept is problematic. Mm-hmm. First of all, gaydar was first coined in oh, the 1980s. That's great. Okay. Um, so it was already a thing when friends talked about a radar. I do kind of wonder if it was kind of popularized for that reason. I don't know, though. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't find that in my research. Um, but a lot of people would, right off the bat, like, I think you and I would kind of directly say, that this is problematic. Like, mm-hmm. the gaydar is based in this concept that you can make assumptions about a person, which inherently... Mm-hmm. Based on their looks, yeah. yeah. based on their looks and how they present themselves and their mannerisms, which is inherently problematic because I, that, again, goes into this this area where... You know, you have to act straight. So, like, if you're a man and then you have more, quote-unquote, femmanurisms, then people assume that you're gay. Yeah. Like, and then that turns into a whole variety of problems in which men have to be more manly in order to be perceived straight. But then you also get the flip side where, like, women... So, usually what it is is, like the gaydar goes off when people don't exist within their, like, gender norms, basically. So, yeah. like, when men ask, act more feminine and when women act more masculine, quote-unquote, is when, like, the gaydar is going off, mm-hmm. you know? When it's, like, these are just, like, super blatant, shitty stereotypes that don't serve anyone. Exactly. Now. Mm-hmm. In contrast to that, there was a study. There has been, not just one, there has been actual literal studies done to see if the gaydar is real. Interesting. And there have been studies that have actually shown that it is possibly real. Um, I know, Emily. Emily's look was really great. You got a stink eye. <laughs> I got a stink eye. Um, and... I, I was reading a couple of different articles. One side was um, written by someone who had done a study that sort of was counteractive to the original Gator study, saying that it possibly is accurate. Uh, in these original studies, what they were sort of doing, they were doing a variety of things. One was just showing a photo of someone. One was showing a video of people interacting and then picking out who you thought was gay, that sort of thing. Right. Um, but I think the point that I want to make here is that it actually doesn't matter. Yeah. Because assumption and assuming someone's Identity, sexuality, gender is problematic, period. It does more harm than good always. Yeah. And so it's sort of like if you can, if you make those internal assumptions, don't act on them. You can recognize Mm -hmm. them. Like everyone makes assumptions about everyone. We are Mm -hmm. socialized to do so. Mm -hmm. The issue is when we start making decisions based on those assumptions. Or formulating stereotypes based on those assumptions. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So it's sort of like, you might see someone and be like, maybe they're gay, but that doesn't mean, like... You need to treat them any differently. Yeah, that they're gay, or like maybe it's like someone that you're initially 
interested in, it's like, oh, maybe they're gay. So what? Go yeah. inquire, you know, like, yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, stop assuming everyone's gender. Yeah. Moral of the story. Moral of the story. Um, okay. I'm going to use this moment to segue into the last point that I wanted to talk about, which is black representation on TV in oh the nineties. Um, okay. So I want to talk about living single. So living single is a TV show that began on in August of 1993. Oh, that's when I was born. August 1993. Um, so they, the story, Living Single, is about six black characters who live in Brooklyn, starring Queen Latifah, who's the best. Um, <laughs> and the reason why I'm bringing this up is because, a couple reasons. So one is that for a lot of black queer people, Living Single was an important show for them. Um, not necessarily because there's queer characters on the show, but in the ways in which the women do not fall into like gender norms in the same way that like Phoebe, Monica and Rachel fall into gender norms. So you've got these four high powered career women um, and then two men. And the story is way more about the women than the men. The men are kind of just like extras in the, in the story. And we watched the first episode and like, there's one character who's like, like they have a whole conversation about how shitty men is, men are. Like they talk about the patriarchy. They talk about the patriarchy. They call out men. Like, and it's, it's done in a lot more of like a political way, but still funny and humorous and like enjoyable to watch. Whereas like Friends prided itself on being like apolitical in a lot of ways, like never taking a stance on anything really. Whereas like in this first episode, there's like a shitty dude and all the women rally behind like this other woman to like boot this shitty dude. And like, it's anyways, I think it's, I think it was a great show and there's, so I'm talking about it for two reasons. One is because in the whole 10 seasons of Friends, There are only, like I said, two people of color who appear in more than one episode on the show. And that's Lauren Tom, who plays Julie, who's Ross's um, partner um, in season two. And then Aisha Taylor, who is in season 10. I'm not going to say what because I don't want to give spoilers. Um, And so (laughs) um, and so those are the two only two people of color who come onto that show for more than one episode. Um, And recently back like at the beginning of 2020 there was this big thing that came out because um they were talking about doing a friends reboot and they're still talking about it actually and david schwimmer was being interviewed and the interviewer was like you know what are you going to do about the diversity issue in friends and david schwimmer said well you know um that first of all he said that he was one of the only people on the show who pushed for better representation he was the one that pushed for ross to have um partners who were not just white women um so that's what he claims we don't know if this is true but this is coming from the horse's mouth you know um but (laughs) what an expression (laughs) what an expression um and then he said that you know maybe they should do a reboot of friends with an all black cast and well Erica Alexander, who plays Maxime on Living Single, bounced back and was like, hey, Living Single existed on TV before Friends existed. And there was a lot of issues because Living Single is a Warner Brothers production. And so is Friends. And what happened is that after Friends came out, Warner Brothers stopped like advertising Living Single to the same degree, stopped pushing it to the same degree, stopped giving it as much money as Friends, which is a show about six white people in Brooklyn, whereas Living Single is a show about six black people in Brooklyn. Did I say six white people in Brooklyn? Yeah, they're not in Brooklyn. They're they're in Manhattan, but still, whatever. Um, New York City, basically. Um, And... The, there's that's such an issue and actually one of the characters on living single leaves at the end of season four or five because he kept repeatedly bothering basically warner brothers and was like hey you guys are not representing us because we're black and you know you're only putting your money towards friends now and he was fired from the show because of it so here we have in the 90s two shows one with six white characters, one with six black characters. And to be clear, um, Living Single was actually, came out first. Anyways, there's, I think it's just like really important to recognize the ways in which like Friends gets this massive reputation for being like, 
you know, this epic show about single people in, you know, in New York in the 90s when there was a show like that already, but it wasn't getting as much views. 98% sure because they are six black people on television. And so it's like, that's an issue. And, you know, they handle gender norms way better. They have an episode about um, a character who's queer and it's handled way better. Like, they talk about so many things in a way more political, more appropriate way. And I think a lot of people justify Friends because they're like, oh, well, it was the 90s, you know? Yeah. Whereas, like, hey, this show came out a year before and handled all of these serious issues and was in taking, a way better yeah, way. was taking on these topics head on. Yeah. Yes. And so it's like, you know, like, and we're bringing this up mostly just because, you know, at the end of the day, we still love Friends, like we said at the beginning of this episode, but, like, we can't pretend that friends existed in a bubble, you know? We can't pretend that, like, no one was talking about race in the 90s or, like, no one was talking about, you know, queer people in the 90s. Like, actually, like, these conversations were being had and it's, like, are important and relevant and, like, we can't just sweep it under a rug and and it would be irresponsible of us as podcast creators to talk about friends without talking about that. Like, it's just... Exactly. So I feel like moving forward, we have plans to watch Living Single. Mm -hmm. And I feel like it'll be a really great reference point to sort of contrast um, as we go through each episode of Friends and kind of look at how they're dealing with topics that come up versus how Living with Friends does. Living single does. Living single does. <laughs> Living with friends. <laughs> Me and yeah. me is just not, <laughs> not, not my strong point. Words. Um, and so that's it. So thanks so much for tuning in this week. Yeah, thanks for tuning in. I'm so glad we're back. We're back. And please check out our Patreon. I'm really excited. Yeah. Go get them stickers, folks. Listen to the unedited version of this podcast because it's a total of like an hour and 40 minutes and you're not going to get an hour and 40 minutes if you're listening to this uncut. Uh, if you're listening to this cut, I should say. Um, and yeah, you can follow us on Instagram at WTPhalange. It might change to at WTPhalangePod. Or podcast. Or podcast. So just look up both. <laughs> we're new at this and we're, we're still trying to figure it out. <laughs> yeah. Um, and as always, stay cool. Yeah. Keep deconstructing the media you consume. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of What the Phalange. If you're picking up what we're putting down, please consider supporting us on Patreon, leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts, and or sharing us with all of your friends on social media. You can find us at whatthephalangepodcast.com, email us at wtphalange at gmail.com, DM us on Twitter at wtphalangepod, or follow us on Instagram at wtphalangepodcast. All links will be included in the show notes below. Want to get in touch with us each individually? You can find Emily on Twitter as Emily B underscore underscore, and that's Emily with an I-E. And you can find Quinn at the basic NB on Instagram. Keep deconstructing and diversifying the media you consume.